Hey everyone, it's me, TV. Just reminding you, we have t-shirts in the shop. Just go to pgttcm.com, check out all of our cool t-shirts and stickers. Heck, we even got some shelf curtains in there. Keep clean, look cool, have cool stickers to put on stuff. Join us on Patreon, get a free sticker. Or don't. It's up to you. Hey everyone, it's me, DB. New sponsor on the show, Glary. Glary offers a great price and better quality goods and services for music lovers. Are you looking for good prices, free shipping, 100% quality guarantee? Glary's got you covered. Guitars, bass guitars, mandolins, they've got saxophones, trumpets, drums, they've got guitar cases, amplifiers, all the stuff that you need without having to break the bank. Inexpensive doesn't have to mean cheap. Check out the show notes to find more about Glary. 20 watt amplifiers for under $50. Hard cases for your electric guitar for under $80. Guitars themselves for under $90. Come on, folks, check out the show notes. Get a glary. This episode is brought to you by California Tea House. California Tea House is a family owned tea store where you can find some of the world's best loose leaf tea and organic herbal tea blends. Like a fine wine, there is no comparison between fine loose leaf and common broken leaf tea bags. So, yeah, no, check them out. Check them out. They have quite a bit of pretty awesome tea collections. I'm a huge fan of their white teas. Uh, They have a tea club that you can join, but, you know, they've got green tea, black tea, white tea, oolong, that uh, robios and herbal tea. They've also got teaware. So check out California Tea House in the show notes. You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. Greetings, listeners. It is I, TV Spitzer and Farmer Dave, here once again to talk to you about the Cthulhu Mythos, its books, its monsters, its unfortunate human casualties, its timeline in general, and even its tangential bits, like the dreamlands or things of a weird nature that are Lovecraftian leaning. Once more we head into those dark woods, further feeling those malevolent forces upon us. Once again we walk down the lightless stone staircase in the middle of nowhere. Hello everyone, welcome once again to the People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. I am one of your hosts, D.B. Spitzer, and to my virtual right, Farmer Dave, David Heath. How the heck is it going this week? I am well. Nice. And hello to almost everybody. Except for you. Yeah, you. Not you, not you. Them, them. And you know who you are. I guess so. Everybody else, hello. (laughs) Hey, everyone. Um, Even I don't know who they are, but. That's the way they like it. Exactly, exactly. Uh, Yeah. Welcome to another episode of People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Uh, We are here in Oleander, Oregon. And. We're just hanging out. I am at the uh, dilapidated record, not record, uh, radio station on the edge of town. And Dave, of course, is in his home studio on the goat farm. How are things? Can you hear? 
can I hear a what? A bunch of chickens just went by. Oh. Oh, a bunch of chickens just went by. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I heard that. I, I just assumed it was goats pretending to be chickens. They might be. <laughs> hey. They might be. They might be chickens doing imitations of goats yeah. doing chickens. Okay. But, yeah, no, everything's really kind of boring. Everyone's uh, just kind of, it's it's May. It's rainy. It's not yeah. rainy. It's rainy. It's not rainy. Uh, <laughs> and and it, 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 it's not the day that, yeah, so the weather is uh, been very uh, flip a coin. Yeah. But it's not the day you're listening because this won't go out for another two days. No. But the day we're recording is May the 4th. May the 4th. Quattro de Mayo. Yeah. May the 4th be with you. Yeah. Or Cinco de Cuatro, I think is what they called it on uh, Arrested Development. <laughs> oh, yeah. Anyway, but yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, let's see. Yeah, Cinco de Mayo is going on tomorrow, so that's going to be awesome. Uh, Oblivion's is uh, not doing anything for Cinco de Mayo other than serving Mexican beer. and But uh, various Mexican restaurants in Oleander, and we've got... Three, not including the Qdoba on the edge of town, but uh, yeah, yeah. So you've got your choice of places to go tomorrow, and um, you know, I, I'm excited. But I mean, because nobody's nobody serves uh, stale tortilla chips and salsa like an Irish pub. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was just thinking about it. It's like the only people who are going to hear this right now are the people who listen at home and are on the Patreon. So, uh, yeah, yeah. When this goes out, everyone will hear it. And, yeah, I'll probably cut this part out since it's only for the live feed. But, yeah, uh, Cinco de Mayo. Uh, one thing that Oblivions is not good for is Mexican food. Do not go to a German-Irish restaurant for Mexican food. Heck, I don't even think you should go there for the Irish food because they don't really have Irish food as much as they have, like, uh, Irish nachos, which is just nacho toppings on top of tater tots or french fries. Uh, which I like. Which, I, yeah, no, no, it's it's delicious. It's delicious. So very not good for you, but it yeah. is delicious. So someone once told me the best food in Europe uh-huh. is Belgium. Yeah, yeah. French food with German portions. Yes. <laughs> I like the sound of that. Uh, so we are talking about a city, a city of pillars, a city once visited by no necromancer and uh, all around Madman uh, Abdul Al Hazred, I believe, went to the city of pillars in possibly the history of the Necronomicon or other, uh, or is it the the, the uh, story about the pillars that I'm thinking of? Well, so so there's a couple things. So uh-huh. it's Irem in the um, in the mythos. Okay. I R E M, but. This was something that basically Lovecraft stole. Okay. He didn't invent this. Mm-hmm. So Iram is mentioned both in uh, the um, Quran yeah. as well as the 
2001 Arabian Nights, yeah, okay. which of course you know Lovecraft grew up on. That was 1001, uh, you know, uh, 1001 Arabian Nights was basically Lovecraft Star Wars. Gotcha, gotcha. You know, and so he's gonna carry that over. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so his city, Iram mm-hmm. of the Pillar, is basically Iram. It's just another, gotcha, his version of pronunciation. Okay. So, uh, Iram is a lot like Jericho or Sodom and Gomorrah. It is a city that is destroyed. It's basically a flood of sand comes Ah. and engulfs the city. And it's the same type um, type of story that you would expect in a patriarchal religion. Okay. This this town, like uh, the Tower of Babel, you know, Babel, they got pro- they got pride, the proud, and enough that they started being more pride than the monolithic god. Okay. A- and their pride is physically represented in their beautiful pillars. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, the pride goes to sin. And then it's destroyed by divine forces. Yeah. Now, um, was there a Iram? Apparently so. Okay. Uh, because, and you know, in the 70s and the 80s, there was this big sort of excitement that archaeology proved the Bible, okay. especially the Old Testament. Sure. Of course it did. To, you know, whether or not you think it's divine, mm-hmm. it's the story of this Bronze Age society. Sure. So there's, if there's, the Bible tells you there was a city in the desert there that was destroyed, there's no reason to think not. Sure. Now, with satellites, they think that they have found the cities, mm-hmm. or the, at least the ones that are based on that Iram was based on. Um, and was it destroyed in one day in a sandstorm, sort of like Atlantis, but mm-hmm. with sand? And probably not, but it was, you know, probably a major trade city that was destroyed because of, you know, the environment. The yeah. sand, the, eventually the sand, whether, whether it was a long period because of a drought. Mm-hmm. Now, the term, the Atlantis of the desert, yeah, that is actually coined by uh, T.E. Lawrence, Lawrence ah, of Arabia, okay. in his book. And he definitely believed it was real. Okay. Uh, and again, it probably isn't just one city. Mm-hmm. It's probably a bunch of cities. Okay. All right. Yeah. And then, of course, we have... Um, Lovecraft's version. Uh huh. And uh, what's what's Love's, Lovecraft's version? I'm 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 blanking right now. <laughs> so it's just, it's the same thing. It's it's, okay. it's this destroyed sort of city with these beautiful um, columns. Okay. And so a couple of things, sort of when I get from it, and um, yes, he talks a little bit about it, I believe in. Um, in the you know the history of the Necromancica, uh-huh. uh, I mean the Necronomicon, 
uh, he also has, you know, a, a fractured part of a story called, um, uh, you know, uh, I believe the city of the pillars, oh, uh, uh, or the, the unknown city, the, the nameless city, city. city, the nameless city, nameless city. Thank mm-hmm. you. Thank nameless city. Yeah. Um, and so a couple of things come to mind when I read that. Mm-hmm. One of the things is it's a lot like Pompeii. Okay. But instead of ash, it's sort of preserved by sand. Gotcha. And this was a huge time sort of for archaeology. There were cities being found in South America. You know, Schliemann is going to discover Troy. Okay. And so, you know, I don't know if you know the story about Schliemann. No. So Heinrich Schliemann is this very rich um, pharmacist. He owns Mm -hmm. pharmacies. And he retires. Uh, you know, he's like in his young 30s, 40s. He's able to retire because he has all these German pharmacies. And he's going to use Homer. He's going to use the Iliad and Odyssey and find Troy. Okay. To the point that when he thinks he finds it, he uses the times that it talks about where, where um, you know, they run around the walls of Troy and he measures out where they're going to be dig by that. Yeah. And he finds it. Okay. So there is this. Now, was Troy, in fact, so he finds a bunch of cities built on top of each other. Uh-huh. So there's this, this sort of movement that, oh, wow, literature, you know, and archaeology match. Yeah. And that, I think, is something that uh, Lovecraft is sort of this environment. Uh, you know, we've got uh, Carter opening up, uh, you know, King Tut's tombs. Mm-hmm. There's this big Egyptian movement. Yeah. But there's also, hey, these stories are based on truth. And so I think that influenced Lovecraft's writing also. Okay. Huh. That's cool. So... We've got something that's old. It's it's mixed with something new, and a bunch of spooky stuff. Let's see. Uh, yeah. Also, and, and futuristic that we're going to find these a lot of these cities in the desert because of satellites. Okay. We're going to see the walls. We're going to see what the remains are going to find the remains of these cities through satellites. Yeah, yeah, no, no. It's like uh, from 91 to about 2007 was when a huge amount of research was done using satellites, from what I can understand. And, you know, the many-columned Iram and Abdullah, son of Abi... I'm I'm just going to stop because I'm butchering names and I don't feel good about it. Uh, But, yeah... um, Definitely, definitely. That's that's pretty cool that not only is it... a real fictional place, but it's a uh, fictional fictional place, but it's also a real place. <laughs> yes, and, and you know, one of the best sort of versions of this, mm-hmm. I think, is mythos adjacent. Okay, and it's not a not a comic book; it's not illustrated, but a, a Hellboy novel. Oh, the the Lost Army. It oh, comes yeah. out in 1997. It was the first 
truly novel. I mean, without pictures, yeah. Hellboy book. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and it's it was written in '97, and I read it like '99 or something. So it wasn't too old when was, I read it. Was that written by Christopher Golden? Yes, it was. Okay, yeah, I, rem- I remember reading that. Yeah, when it came out. <laughs> and, and yeah, and, and and I don't think he uses RM. Uh-huh. But it's the same thing. And and they said it right when there's like a border conflict in the 80s with Libya and Egypt. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and it's the, one of the few times where we really kind of go into, you know, uh, Hellboy's girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but he has this amazing sort of when they get underground, they see this, you know, just it's an amazing story. I think uh, with the exception of a few of the Hellboy uh, short stories. Uh-huh. It's the best non-text Hellboy story out there. Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, I have to say, I do love the Hellboy, uh, the Hellboy uh, short story collections. Yeah, odd things, odd, no odd jobs, odder jobs, and the oddest jobs. Yeah, yeah. I think I've only read the first two though, but <laughs> <laughs> I know that um, I've given them to my brother, and my brother uh, read them and continued to read the series. But yeah, I personally did not. I enjoyed them, but yeah, less Hellboy and more more Iram. Uh, what, what else do we have? Well, well I was gonna say I used that Iram, the version he had. Uh huh. I used that in a uh, a GURPS game. Oh, nice. Uh, and it was a, a World War II uh, Warehouse 23 game. Okay. Uh, where it was a sort of a mystical portal. That's why they they had only like 24 hours. And they were fighting the desert war in Egypt, uh-huh. uh, and they had to get to the portal, get in, and then escape uh, before the portal shut off, and they wouldn't be opened up for another you know, fifteen hundred years. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Okay. Huh. That'd be a long time waiting around. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, no, and uh, it's it's popped up in other games, in TV shows, in literature. Um, of course, Lovecraft's Nameless City uh, popped up and mentioned in Fallout 4. Uh, League of Legends, apparently, it's popped up. And even Uncharted 3, it's popped up. But, yeah. Yeah, and those involve video games. That's why I know almost nothing of them. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I know that uh, Fallout 4 mentions the Lost City in a very kind of Lovecraftian way. There's a character named uh, Lorenzo Cabot uh, who owns the Cabot House who uh, dug up some stuff in a desert uh, a really long time ago. And uh, using his blood, he's been keeping his family alive for hundreds of years. Uh, and he has a helmet that he can like control people with, and it's, I mean, some some ghoul named Edward comes up to you and goes, "Hey, I hear you're someone who knows how to get stuff done." And then, yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, Lovecraftian in that way, and Lovecraftian that they talk about like uh, ancient lost deserts and eldritch gods and stuff like that. But, yeah. Um, so Irem is also mentioned uh, and just briefly in another Lovecraft story. Oh, it's uh, mentioned briefly in The Call of Cthulhu, I believe. Yeah, but also uh, Through the Gates of the Silver Key. Oh, I forgot when, about that. Yeah. When, yeah, when um, when he, uh, he travels through times... You know, he see he sees the uh, and its height, sort of its beautiful city. Gotcha. Uh, in the same way, let's say if 
we were maybe going to uh, write uh, maybe a non-Lovecrafty, but a time-traveling story. Sure. Uh, you know, Babylon. Okay. And it's a very sort of, I kind of, you know, the beauty of, of Babylon. Or, you know, I had a few friends who were of, of the Jewish faith, uh-huh. and they would, uh, you know, they were from archaeology or a history made and they would the way they would talk about the the glory of of jerusalem you know not not jerusalem today's jerusalem jerusalem you know uh 10 bc or so Mm -hmm. um so yeah so that's just where another part pops up i know is 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 in that story okay cool cool any other references to uh, IRAM? Um, the City of Pillars? Those are the only ones that really that I remember. Yeah. But it, I don't, he's not beyond throwing that out. Sure, sure. Uh, I, I mean, he he likes the, he, he likes, Lovecraft loves the salt and pepper, you know, his meals with sayings from or events from his other stories. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. All right. Speaking of stories, up next we have a folklorist of the Pacific Northwest by the name of Sarah Walker. And she's going to be talking about what? What, what is she going to be talking about there, Dave? About urban legends Ooh. as well as sharing one of her stories nice. uh, from her uh, upcoming uh a collection. Very cool, very cool. All right. Well, everyone, uh, after the break, we will be talking to Sarah Walker. And then after that, we're going to be talking about a great old one or an outer god, depending on who you are. Uh, that is not only a vegetable, but also a plant and a mineral. And it has a book. How do you do that in 21 questions? That's what I keep thinking. You just say, yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then I just burned up three of my questions. Exactly. So, hey everyone, it's me, DB. Just wanted to tell you, check out Copper Cow Coffee. So, you know, it's it's a great pour-over coffee. You just pull out the little paper wings, hang it on your cup, pour in several ounces of water slowly, and you have a nice, delicious cup of Vietnamese-style pour-over coffee. Here's something I've been doing lately. I've been throwing it into a jar and then filling it with water. I've pre-measured coffee for cold brew, or I can just tear the little paper bags open and dump it into my espresso maker and then just have a quick little shot ready to go right there. Pre-measured out, no Keurig. And uh, the paper is not d- recyclable, but it's, it's, it's biodegradable. So take that Keurig cup and uh, yeah, yeah, you can, Seep it like a tea bag overnight. You can dump it into your espresso maker. You can put it in your little handheld espresso maker that you put on the stove. You're camping the espresso maker. Love those things. Or you can just do it like a pour over. I currently have vanilla, lavender, regular, almost out of salt, salt caramel, and churro. But they've got many, many more flavors. They've got mocha, and they've got all kinds of little sweetener packets, uh, sugar sugar and cream sweetener packets mixed together condensed milk yes that's what i'm talking about anyway copper cow coffee check them out in the show notes this episode is brought to you by donner check out the show notes to find a good deal at donner 
like the sound of this. This is the Donner Island Delay, and the really cool Donner LP that I've shown off on like Instagram. Check it out. Uh, they've got some really good summer deals, and check out their snap deals as well. Use the link in the show notes to help support the show. Get yourself some cool musical instruments, maybe some patch chords. Cool. everybody and this is the part of the show where i talk to somebody whose initials are not db in fact they today are going to be sw for sarah walker uh sarah did you want to maybe introduce yourself to uh, our audience yeah um hey yeah i'm sarah walker and i'm a writer and artist and uh teacher that lives in the northwest i um am most interested in weird fiction and horror and so that's mostly what i write um i'm involved with the lovecraft film festival sometimes um i i read at some stores around here that kind of thing i'm a horror fanatic basically well then you're at the right place yeah (laughs) now this is the part of the show where the listeners will have to visualize but we're going to walk past little baby goats and see if they're, they're waking up so here we go see are they making are they making any noise yet? Wait. Oh. I think I heard them. Oh. I hear them. Did you say you yeah, have There's 20? a couple of little goats awake. I don't know if you heard them. I did hear them. Do you you said you have 20 in your living room? Uh yes. Yes I do. <laughs> All of them, all of them are under a month old. That is just so awesome. I have three large dogs, but that you still, you beat me. You beat yes. me with 20 goats for sure. So, so this is a little side, but what we do have is three relatively large cats. And uh-huh. the cats have kind of taken on the protector job and, and watching oh. over. And, and I will see, we keep these goats some and like, little playpens and they'll sometimes walk around the corner of the playpens just to make sure the goats are safe i suppose or that they're okay oh that's so cool and i swear i'm not making this up i took one of the little goats outside of the um the playpen to change out because you know they get dirty so we change out the towels Uh she walks over to one of the cats kisses it and walks away oh see they know each other See, yep. Now the I truth is, it. she might be trying to find out if it, her, the cat's nose creates milk, but you know. <laughs> or maybe considering how tasty the cat might be, you might have carnivorous goats. You never know, right? <laughs> Could be. Well, she left pretty quickly, so. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Our dogs and cats hang out together, so we have, oh, I have awesome. a hundred-pound pit bull that we kind of just ended up getting, and. Uh, Fortunately, he's like best buddies with the cats, so. Oh, awesome. Yeah, so I I like that. We so had you get a, a new collection out too, don't you? Um yeah, so yeah, right now, um well we did walk in the darker wood and we did really really well with that. Um so we decided to do a sequel and originally we were gonna do four core 
um, but we decided to wait for a bit and instead do urban legends. And so we're doing an urban legend um, anthology um, with Gordon White, um, Phil Breach, and myself. And basically, we're doing, um, we got stories from people uh, in India, we got stories from people in England, we got stories, I think one of our writers lives in Scotland, uh, people in the US, um, all different kinds of urban legends. So it's fun, I think. I love urban cool. legends. I love urban legends. And, you know, when I was my first like, year in, in junior college, I took an anthro class back in when we called them friend of a friend's stories. Right. I yes. just absolutely love urban legends. Um, how, how did it sort of come? Uh, what type of, uh, if you can share maybe some, what type of urban legends either made it into the book or not? Um. So say that again. I'm sorry. So what type made it in? You said. Yeah. What what urban legends? What what were some of the legends that maybe made it into the book, or if you can share that? Or. Yeah. Yeah. I can. Um. Okay. So we've got shadow people. Um. That's the story that I actually shared with you guys that I did. We've also got um the black telephone. We've got stories about um vanishing hitchhikers. We've got stories about um let's see. Oh, basically ever oh slender man. Um, oh. yeah, all sorts of stuff. Even some older ones, um, like, uh, Spring Hill Jack. Oh, that, wow. I, I my love husband Spring calls gas, he, my husband calls him gasoline powered Jack. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I, uh, we have a, we have a bunch of different ones. So quite a yeah, few. I didn't, I didn't realize that you were going to do a, a shadow, uh, people's story. My mom and I had a conversation last week about what people, some people think are urban legend is the leader of the shadow people, the hat man. Yes, the hat and man. The okay. hat man and how, you know, people all throughout the world see this shadowy being with this big Zorro-like hat. That's what's interesting to me. And that is what, um, well, you'll see in the story, but I really wonder sometimes if... You know, we don't know everything that exists around us. I mean, we have no idea. And that was one of the reasons, like, Lovecraft's story was so um, ingenious, um, the resonator, because the idea that you could somehow stimulate some part of your brain and be able to see um, things in your environment that you wouldn't normally be able to see, that's actually well, Open a your eyes and remove the veil. Yeah, yeah, that's actually a pretty scientific idea. I mean, we've only adapted really to our environments to live, you know, to survive, to have sex and to eat, really, to like procreate and to eat. And so there might be things going on around us that, you know, because we haven't adapted the need for it, you know, we just don't have it, it you know, like infrared or, you know, all those things. You don't really need it, so you don't really ever get it unless you really kind of try to pay attention, you know? I think it's also enculturation. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, there there are plenty of things. And, like, you know, scientists tell us that our bodies are, are surrounded, like, with a, a mist of bacteria, which is a good thing. You know, there's some good bacteria there, but we yep. don't see it. Yep. And we're, we're, we also have, um, we faintly glow. Um, a lot of people don't know that, but it, I mean, it's so faint that, you know, we don't notice it, but we have all kinds of things going on within us and around us that we are 
you know, unaware of. And so maybe, maybe there are beings that, you know, exist on the periphery of our consciousness, you know, maybe there are these things that are out there that could potentially, you know, live off of us or, um, I don't know, haunt us, who knows? They might not even have um, needs or desires that, you know, could be put into words because they're a completely alien life form, right? Yeah. Or how about this for a twist? We're their boogeyman. We're their they bo- see us. They see us out of the corner of their eye and we scare oh, yes. them to death. <laughs> that would be awesome. So that's really funny you say that because I was showing my mom. I was at my mom's house. I'm moving over to the coast. And she, uh, I wanted to show her some little horror film clips. And there's one that you might have seen that's on YouTube. It won like a billion awards. It's called, I think it's called Lights Out. They actually made a feature film of it. A feature length film or feature, you know what I'm saying? It's like yeah. an hour and a half film, but the original, the original piece that it came off of was only like three minutes. And there's this woman and she's going to bed and she's looking down her hall. And when she turns the light off, there's like a hat rack at the end of the hall. And it suddenly like shifts and looks like a person. So she turns the light on again and it's just a hat rack. She turns it off, looks like a person, turns it on, looks like a hat rack. She's like, this is too weird. So she goes and gets tape and tapes the light so that it can't be turned off, goes and lays down, right? And when the light goes off, she can hear footsteps running into her bedroom. So she ah, turns her light on, right? I'm kind of, I'm kind of uh, hurrying it. But the point is, is that when she finally um, turns the light on, she turns and there the creature is and it, it, it's looking right at her. And my mom said it would be really funny to do a video like opposite of that with the creature actually being terrified that it saw her you know so sort of like what you were saying oh yeah no? uh, i don't know if you heard that but ralph the rooster thinks that's a great idea oh right on <laughs> i used to we had chickens when i was a kid and i used to actually do news broadcasts to the chickens because there weren't a lot of people around where i where i grew up i was like way up in the mountains and so uh yeah so i love chickens <laughs> Well, 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 Ralph seems to really like what you're saying. Right on. Hi, Ralph. <laughs> so, no, I, I, I would love to see sort of a version of that, uh, you know, or, or, you know, if the, the, the creature, every time they turn on the light, it's forcing me to take some sort of form. That's just, there's so much ideas there. Yeah, but, yeah. What, what, what is basically, I think we pretty much all in the 21st century know, but what, what is an urban legend? Well, urban legends really, they're modern folklore, and usually they're told as if they're true. So they're stories like, um, you know, oh, my friend's cousin had a babysitter who um, uh, didn't know it and was dosed with LSD. And when she went to babysit, she ended up cooking the baby thinking it was a turkey, which is, you know, a very famous urban legend. It's been around since, I believe, the 1960s, and it was usually framed... um, with a hippie being the person, because that was like the period when hippies were like, you know, freaking out middle America. And so of course the boogeyman is gonna look like a hippie and they're going to take acid and think your turkey is actually, or your baby's a turkey, which is just absolutely silly, but it's a good, it's a good story, right? And, and, and they're, going to, they're going to convert somebody or change somebody. Right, right, like they're gonna make people, oh, I'm not gonna be a hippie because I might cook babies or whatever, I'm, you know, I don't know what they thought. Or more, more like I'm not going to do LSD, or or the story like for instance in the 70s that um, people were poisoning 
um, kids candy, Halloween candy. Um, the, I, have you heard of that? Oh yeah, yeah. Or the or the 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 star toy uh, tattoo, or where it was supposed to be LSD laced. Now, oh yes, like the the, the rub on tattoos were supposed to have acid in them. Yes, I remember that. There's all kinds of, or if you drink like pop rocks and like soda at the same time, that your stomach would burst. And that the kid from Life, or what is that Life Cereal? The commercials, Mikey. Mikey. Yeah, that he did that and actually died. You know that kind of thing. So they're usually framed in a folk. So it's very similar to old folklore, um, where you would have like a horror story to to try to dissuade people from either behaving a certain way or going to a certain place. They're almost like moral stories in a weird way. So, so I'm going to throw something out. What I think is kind of sort of, it's obviously not the first urban legend, legend, uh-huh. but I think one of the, the first ones out there, the one that still survives, La Giorna. Oh, yes, I, the crying woman. Yes. I, I know I mispronounced it. My Spanish is terrible, but yeah, exactly. Llorona. Yeah. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Where, where you know, the story is that um, a, a, a hacienda owner basically had children with a lady but would not marry her because she was low life. Or, and she, I mean, she was not up at the top social standing right she was lower and so class. in revenge she she drowns the children right right and that is a great that's a great story and what what i think is cool is that these urban legends are hopping boundaries there's a lot of cultural diffusion happening so that means like when one culture has like a, a set of beliefs and legends and that those beliefs and legends are actually taken in and incorporated by another culture that maybe didn't have those ideas at first so like Yorona was a you know South American and Mexican legend, a little bit in the American Southwest, and now you're hearing about it up here, which is really interesting. It, the one I got me was I was afraid, surprised. Uh, I have a friend who lives up in Canada, and he said that there's uh, a small Hispanic community up there, uh-huh. and they claim it happened up to a river up in Canada. See, there you go. And that's the other beautiful thing about urban legends is that people will incorporate their own lives into it and will be convinced that it happened to them or happened to their mom or happened to their brother. And it makes one wonder, you know, like maybe it did happen or maybe these are something like this. There is some truth to Yorona or there's some truth to, you know, the black eyed children, you know, or Slender Man. Which is which is the black eyed children scared me more than any. and, And I don't necessarily believe in them. That to me is the scariest urban legend. It is. It is. And Slenderman for me really did it for a long time. When I first discovered Slenderman, I was absolutely just in, obsessed with it because I found out that there were people on Coast to Coast. I think it's called AM Coast to Coast. It's a it's a radio show. Yeah, Coast to Coast AM. Um, yes, it did late night uh, sort of supernatural things. Yes. Yes. Yes, exactly. And that they were actually, um, people were claiming that they were seeing Slenderman, like that they had seen Slenderman. And so it got me into like thinking about belief and how, you know, we create our world, right? We create the world around us. Can we potentially create these things? Or are they, are, are they just taking our energy and creating themselves? Or is it just all a big lie? To me, it seems so unlikely that so many people would say such similar stuff 
You know what I mean? And have it be completely based in fiction? No, no, absolutely. And, you know, sometimes I have this kind of, well, uh, love-hate relationship with John Keel. Okay. uh, Who wrote uh, Mothman Prophecies. Oh, yes. Okay. At first, I, 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 could, I recognized the name, and I, my brain said the Peel Sessions, but I wasn't thinking. Yes. And, and, and sometimes I think these guys just way over the top, and then sometimes I think, this guy knows what he's talking about. Yeah. That, you know, that there's these ultra-terrestrials, and we're just, they're just so beyond us that, like you said, that they're from beyond, they're so beyond us that it's what we're seeing is not what we're think we're seeing. We're just projecting these looks yeah. onto them because our mind can't handle the true form. Yeah. And I think that's totally, I mean, what do you do with something that's like existing in more than one reality? Like we're stuck to like what three dimensionality, right? What if this is something that can hop into four or five, six dimensions? How is that going to look to us? Is that just going to look like a light anomaly? Are we going to manifest it in our minds as a man in a hat, you know, as a shadowy man in a hat? Or is it how would we, we don't know what that would look like or how we would even react. And, to, it, and it, to, you know, to be, uh, you know, to think that we don't that we know everything as human beings. I mean, all you got to do is take some science classes to know really, really fast. We don't know shit. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you I'll just throw this out. And again, this is kind of me just talking. So. You know, I found out a while back that that dreams are, you know, when we go to sleep, it's our our lizard part of our brain starts shooting out electrical impulses. Okay. And they come up to the higher part of our brain and doesn't know what's going on. Uh So dreams are basically from a biological, I mean, a biochemical point of view, this part of the brain trying to understand these unexplainable impulses. Electrical oh. impulses. Maybe I, I mean I'm not I, I tend to be kind of agnostic myself, but maybe maybe these urban legends are our brain trying to understand some sort of stimuli that just is beyond our understanding now. That is actually really interesting you say that because there was a study done and Lord, I wish I could quote the author and give you the journal name and I'll see if I can find it um, and send it to you. But they did a study on um, ghost sightings. And this was actually um, psychologists and psychiatrists that had like doctorates and were doing this very, you know, using statistical measurements. They were doing it very scientifically. It wasn't like a YouTube show. No no offense to YouTube shows. I'm just saying doing it very, very by the book. Okay. And what they found was, is that they think that places that have had something really violent happen, like a murder will have a very specific scent and that it's a subliminal scent. It's something that we don't consciously pick up and that that scent doesn't go away, that it just sort of sticks in the place. And that when we come up, come into the place where this violent thing happened, that our subconscious minds pick up that scent. And so then we visualize it as what, you know, like say, uh, you know, the place was supposed to be haunted by a young woman who was murdered. So then we manifest it as a young woman being murdered. Um, oh, wow. But the only problem with that is that when people don't know anything about a house and still have um, these experiences. But see, that, that's true. That's where it kind of falls apart. So that that definitely. But then that kind of goes into this area where it could be 
that we have, you know, vestigial organs that we might not be aware of, like in our brains that that allow us to like connect to other people. So like maybe, you know, through like dogs with smell, for instance, dogs can tell where you've been, what you ate, um, what other dogs you pet, um, you know, if you're afraid or if you're friendly, just by smelling you. And dogs so, find know, me very curious because of the goat smells. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> the dogs will totals dogs that don't normally come up to people will come up just to sniff me because they're not familiar with the goat smells. They're like, dude, what is that? Is this guy a goat? <laughs> That's so funny. But um, so, yeah, absolutely. so it's cool. So really love talking to you, but as we're getting close to time, okay. we do have one historic question that we always ask everybody on the show. Okay. And that is, if you could be any artistic project, whether what, no matter what it is, uh, any medium, don't have to worry about funding or money or copyrights. What is your dream project? Um, other than doing um, some of my own stories into film, I really would love to be involved in doing a film of the Damnation Game by Clive Barker. Oh. That is like the most amazing book that is so under um well i guess it's appreciated by a lot of horror lovers but it's sort of like it's sort of like missed i feel like like it's not given near the love that it should get it needs more love a, yeah it is a masterpiece it is brilliant that is an absolutely brilliant book the man is a genius and I would, if I could do that, like, uh, either as a film or like illustrate it, like animated or something, I would oh, wow. absolutely just die. I would be so happy, you know, that would be amazing. Someday yeah. I'll make a movie. We'll see, you know. So, and again, for, you know, uh, we are so grateful that you have done, uh, shared one of your urban legends with us today, but where can, um, where can, uh, our listeners, um, get the, the full book. Um, okay. Well, that will be probably another two months or so. So right now only Kickstarter backers are going to get it. Um, okay. and we, we went way over, um, uh, goal. So we've got oh, a lot nice. of orders, which is really, really cool, which really made me happy. I think people want this kind of thing. People miss folklore in the modern world. We need Absolutely. this. Absolutely. This is good for the soul. And even if it's a scary story, it's good for the soul. It really is. It um, might even be better for the soul in some cases. Yeah. <laughs> but um, we'll be, it'll be available from bookstores. So, like, um, it'll probably be at the book bin. Um, uh, we'll probably have it on Amazon. Um, and I can actually, I'll send you a link when, it, when it's completely done. We're still, like, in the last, you know, you know, parts of illustration. I have like three illustrations left to do something like that. So I'll keep you updated. Yeah. Thank you for asking. Definitely. And we get, when it gets sort of a, uh, a wider distribution, we will definitely post it. Thank okay, cool. you so much for being on the show. And again, thank you for sharing a, uh, that reading with us. Yeah. Thanks a lot. I hope you have a good night and say hi to your goats <laughs> for me. Hey, that, that was perfect. Thank you so much. Welcome to Innsmouth, stranger. Hi, I'm Rob Whiten from the Innsmouth Book Club. Join me and my fellow guide, John Chadwick, as we take you on a fortnightly tour of Innsmouth.
we visit places such as the Picture House, the Library and Innsmouth Museum to discuss all aspects of weird fiction, whether it be book, film, music, TV or art. As well as that, we stop over at the Gilman House to have a chat with a resident guest. That includes authors, artists, musicians, in fact, Lovecraftian creatives of all types. You can find our free shows on Patreon, and there you can also sign up as a patron, which brings you bonus content, plus a monthly PDF copy of Innsmouth News, which features articles, author spotlights, all the latest news and reviews, and more. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash InnsmouthBC. We hope to see you soon, because remember, Innsmouth isn't just a place, it's a state of mind. featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Here are your hosts, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher, or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodgson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the HP Lovecraft Film Festival, Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the Head of Rondo Hatton, only on Monster Kid Radio. Thank you once again for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. You can help show your support by going to the show notes and following any of the links that'll tell you how to support the show and how to support our guests. And thank you to all of our guests who you can find in the show notes. Rate, review, subscribe, and remember, patrons get priority access to asking us questions, suggesting topics, even, I don't know... Uh, submitting stuff. Actually, you don't have to be a patron to submit anything. That's how Dave got on the show, and that's how you can get on the show, too. It's the People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. Thank you for listening. Back to the show. Hey, Dave, how are you doing? How's, how's, how's... Uh, so, do, do so I, I, I'm going to have to be honest here. Yeah, yeah. You know that guy, that person? Uh-huh. During the commercial, they've apologized. Oh, and okay. I'd accept their apology. So at this time, if you're listening to this, I can welcome you all out. We won't name names, but you know who you are. And I really think that you are the, the better man by apologizing. So uh, we're, we're all cool. We're all copacetic there. So uh, for those people out, 
the 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 beef is over, so we're 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 cool. And the squash is gone too, apparently. All right. Yes. So we're gonna be talking about uh about role playing games here for a moment, but I wanted to ask Dave. Dave, have you been doing any RPGs lately? Playing any uh role playing games? Yeah, so uh, I've been kind of a couple of things going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is uh, just to uh, help one of my DMs uh, who is going through and needs, needs some time. Uh, I've done a couple of uh, sort of one shot and uh, based on gnomes. Oh, cool! And you know the gnomes with their little steampunk, and they had a, a, all their their steam machinery, and there's like method came out and. They, uh, they're kind of like the vermin of their steam machinery, and gotcha. Uh, uh, they had to. They're trying to get the because uh, in this universe, uh, necromancy has been outlawed for over 500 years. Mm-hmm. So they had to find out. Zombies start preparing. So they went and found the most evil book ever written by gnomes, the Necronomicon. <laughs> That's and fun. then it was protected by sort of like this. But illusion spell by the great gnome Dini. Uh-huh. And it, if they step one more, he's going to unleash his Yo Mama jokes. Uh-oh. That's so, it's you know, just been a sort of a fun one. That sounds like fun. Uh, how about you? Oh, just doing Star Wars. Uh, yeah, just, just D20 Star Wars is what we've been playing lately uh, around here. Uh, Barbacoa and some of his friends wanted to play star wars so we started playing star wars and i don't know the uh west west games no it was west, west end, end games game. so yeah. as first the d6 is west end games yeah and then it then it goes to uh basically ocr d20 yeah then it goes into saga which is kind of what they experimented for D D four uh-huh yeah uh, which actually Saga works a lot better than D&D. Okay, that makes sense. And then um, West Coast uh, sort of bumbled or decided they didn't want the rights, mm-hmm. and it went to Fantasy F- uh, Flight. Okay. Who is a Genesis form, and honestly, that's one of the best role-playing games ever. Okay. And then now there's this. Um, very. I guess you're using the 5e. Yeah, yeah, we're using uh, the engine we call SW5e, <laughs> which is my, uh, my understanding. It's fan based. Oh yeah, yeah. It, it, it's not an official. Game, it's fan based. Yeah, yeah. So, but they have done a heck of a job uh, with with. Uh, converting things and I, I i've heard that yeah we've had we've had a lot of fun playing it so i've i've played some other fan-based stuff in the past that has just been kind of mediocre at most so this is pretty cool i no, i i've heard it's good mm-hmm. uh and so um uh fantasy flight who also does um you know arkham horror and, uh-huh. uh they took a big hit during the pandemic yeah and so there was a lot of question whether i mean they they basically laid off their entire rpg arm oh wow um they're now coming back and publishing books that exist so and they're talking about new books 
but honestly um that's the, their version their genesis version of star wars uh-huh. is probably one of the best games i've ever played huh crazy so i wanted to talk about i mean i love talking about star wars but one reason i wanted to like mention star wars even is the fact that iod feels like something you could possibly find in star wars or more likely star trek but just this this so we have a star wars connection yeah a very vague sort of tangent long one okay but there is and and so i was talking a little bit about but but you know i know more about about iod's creator henry nutter yeah uh or Henry, I I don't know why I always put the N there. I always want to call him Henry Nutter. Yeah. It, it's Henry Cutner. Yeah. I move the N around. That's all right. Um, <laughs> then I do Iod because Iod doesn't appear in a lot of stories. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So do you know who Henry uh, Cutner was married to? No. He is married to C.L. Moore. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Okay, yeah. So, C.L. Moore, in fact, he, they are introduced because Henry writes C.L. He doesn't realize that she's female, writes him a fan letter. Ah. And so, uh, C.L. Moore and, and Henry, they work a lot of things. So, a lot of stories are going to be kind of combinations mm-hmm. in fact they will claim that they will sort of be sharing the typewriter and they couldn't remember in some of the stories who 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 wrote that particular because they'd go back and forth they couldn't remember they'd knock about it but they couldn't remember who who actually typed that that paragraph uh-huh that's cool uh and they're gonna have a very um they're gonna have a really tight very i mean I'm, nothing's perfect i'm sure they had their arguments but they're gonna have a very close relationship uh until they'll be married 18 years before uh cutner dies mm-hmm. and, and more does remarry uh basically uh five years later but one of the creations mm-hmm. of C.L. Moore, because she's not going to only write horror. And the same thing um, with uh, with Cutner. He's going to write a lot of stuff. A lot of this stuff is going to be published under different names. And they're so tight in writing that a lot of the, the pen names they use are going to be like variations of both their mother's maiden names. So... Oh, there's a lot of stuff out there that was both of them. But one of the things that she wrote was Northwest Northwest Smith. Okay. Have you ever heard of Northwest Smith? No. He is a spaceship pilot and smuggler who is this anti-hero who travels around uh, basically not quite being a good guy but not quite being a bad guy dealing with this sort of earth government that is um very colonial gotcha one might almost say 
Imperial. Sure. Um, and so it's never been tied. But if you look at it now, if 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 I just wrote Northwest Smith stories right now, you'd be saying I'm ripping off Hansel. Oh sure, yeah. So uh, there's never been this sort of tie where where George Lucas says, "Oh yeah, I read these," but there's a very good chance. We can see he read a lot of pulp. Uh-huh. That it may have been in the back of his head. Sure. So, so yes, when you say Star Wars, uh, you know, Iod is very Star Warsy. Yes, it, it does seem that because both Smith and Cutner are going to be very comfortable in writing in a space opera universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And characters that are what would later be. Star Wars archetypes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And the part where you say, I think it's Star Trek like, I think that's part, but it's Star Trek like for the parts that I think are influenced by uh, Robert Block. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, no. I was thinking more of like the uh, entity that uh, is like uh, first appears as a veil or a black shadow in the air, just like kind of appears first as a bad special effect, and then you hear a voice or something. (laughs) Paralyzing its victims, Ayod drains away their life force with its tendrils until only a brain remains which lives on within the corpse, trapped forever. That sounds like something that uh, the crew of the Enterprise would have to be like, well, how do we get Chekhov? No. (laughs) No, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, and I was thinking too, and I don't think of it. And, and I don't know if Iod is public domain or not. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know if it's not, but I would love someone who, if you know, um, a connection between the Migo and Iod. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I definitely think there could be a, like a lot of the different spacefaring races, where whether it be the Sean. Or the Migo. I think the Sean and the Migo would be like two that would definitely have uh, things to say about Iod. Or, you know, you could always run across stuff by Yithians about Iod, because Yithians are everywhere. <laughs> yes, yes, they are. But yeah. And so, uh, and we know, so, like I said, Katner wrote a lot more. Uh-huh. He wrote a lot more, more. Uh-huh. Not under his name, but he wrote a lot more than horror stories. And he 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 did he has I think like three different old gods he's created. We uh-huh. know Iod basically because the same way we know Cthulhu, you know, the one Daryl basically made the mythos he took the name Cthulhu uh-huh. we know Iod because Chaosium took the name of the Kuttner collection oh yeah as, as the book of Iod mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and they're good I mean I I, I liked them I mean I've, I've, I've read all the Chaosium book oh yeah yeah, yeah but, I... but Iod is not sort of a major character no no in fact I was first thought I was introduced to Iod by um, the um, called Cthulhu game. Yeah. But I got my original, you know, my fourth edition out this morning. Mm-hmm. 
I have not mentioned. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I he I doesn't know. come back. He doesn't. He's not uh, until Creature Companion. Yeah, I believe it was the monstrous Maelstrom or something like that that I. Uh, uh, so, or, so uh, uh, Monstrum uh, Maelstrom. The oldest that I have is the fourth edition Creature Companion okay. that he's okay. mentioned. Oh, okay. Uh, which is sort of the the one before uh, Monstrous Maelstrom, mm-hmm. and there was there was some like some things that he may have come up as. Um, he may he may have come up with like some of the adventures, but uh, the oldest that I have is a stat is uh, the uh, uh, creature companion, uh, and of course, um, you know it it. So I used I had a lot as sort of a Cthulhu again sort of standby. Because my players knew the name, uh-huh. but they didn't know anything about the character. Sure. Um, but one couple of interesting things that I found, uh-huh. um, and I have to reread it, um, it seems that the Star of David, or a pentagram, is uh, a good thing to repulse Ayat. Huh. And I imagine that's from the short story, so I've got to reread the short stories again. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's, it's the, it's the hunter. Okay. And it's the hunter and the fact that it's going to chase you in dreams. It's going to chase you in reality. Whoa. Until, but if you do enough damage to it. Yeah. It's kind of like those robots in THX 1138. Uh-huh. It just ain't, he does like a cost analysis and well, if you've done 80 points of damage to me, it's just not worth it to follow you. <laughs> yeah, no, no. It's like uh, Hounds of uh, Tindalos. They'll, 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 they'll keep going forever. Uh, Deep Ones, Miko, all those other ones, they'll, they'll keep pursuing you. But I like the fact that Iod's just kind of like, yeah, no, there's got to be something easier. And I like that concept. I really do like that concept of... Yeah, no, I'm cool. I'm, I'm, I'm a big, powerful thing, but I know when it's time to get out. Yes, and but you know that also let's and, and that works really good as like a in like a space campaign type oh, thing. Sure, yeah. But you know what if that's just our perception of it? Mm-hmm. It's no longer, it's no longer economical for him to do it personally sure but you know if it's if it's some sort of entity in a star wars game mm-hmm. or or you know a marvel um you know guardians of the galaxy game mm-hmm. th- then you know you don't have to deal with the iod directly yeah but he's gonna hire bounty hunters oh yeah yeah or or i was thinking is what if uh iod eod um however we're calling this thing yeah, uh, I, I've, even, I've even heard it pronounced yod oh, with cool. a Y. Okay. But I, I was thinking it's like, what if it just sends out, like, what if it's able to replicate itself and it's just sending out smaller pieces of it? And then, it, you know, it grows back those lost pieces, but it's sending out, lo- you know, pieces of it. And those are the things that occupy your time until you finally get to the big one. I mean, treat it like a oh. video game. 
or, or what if maybe he doesn't get an arrest? Maybe he or, or invested personally. Mm-hmm. What if he's just the god or the patron of uh, the bounty hunters? Oh, true. Very nice. And, and yeah. so, whether it be Star Wars or you know, there, there's a bounty hunter background for yeah. you know Five E, mm-hmm. and it could be you know. They could be even the patron for the characters. Oh yeah, you do a whole campaign where you go to the temple of Eod and the the oracles give you a, basically a bounty and say, "This person offended the gods this way. Go get them." That'd be pretty cool for some warlock bounty hunters. <laughs> but yeah, Iod. The hunter, the eye. I mean, there's there's like uh, no, uh, not the hunter, the eye. That's See what is Iod? Iod is the hunter of souls, the source, the shining hunter, the shining pursuer. But yeah, it's just pretty much a big black shadow. It's uh, veils and vines, and I don't know. It's it's paralyzes its victims and just leaves their brain. <laughs> well, I don't think just leaves their brain, but. I don't know. So, so I'm gonna throw something something else out here. Go for it. And again, this is, is more um, Henry not Cutner uh, than sure. um, than Iod. But he and his horror. And we talked a little bit about last week how Lovecraft and Robert E. Howard. You know, they 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 used um, Madame Blavatsky and how yeah. they would write letters. Just how they liked the stuff to use for fiction, but they just thought she was crazy. Oh, yeah. Um, Kuttner's horror has a much more theofist, which is the organization that sort of grew out of Blavatsky's teaching. Yeah. So we're going to see things that are more associated with, say, uh, New Age religions, mm-hmm. um, things like astral projecting. And and things like that, uh, which I think tie in very good. What if, you know, instead of it's astral projectors or time travels, it goes after mutants Ooh. in a superhero campaign? Yeah, I like that. Uh, and so you're going to see a lot more. Um, and, and same thing, if you use a Call of Cthulhu campaign. Uh-huh. It, it, it's gonna have a lot more. Uh, I mean, if it's really nice into some of these outer cults and Delta Green, mm-hmm. but why? Why does it have to be you know Hollywood vegans? And why can't it be you know uh, middle aged? You know that it's after the it's after the elves or the orcs that turned away from the the true orc god or uh, yeah yeah no there's there's so many things i feel like you could do with iod and of course there is the book of iod which uh if if we click on that link there um you know is 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 a book it talks about where uh where iod's from uh the planet uh Belyarnak, and and just like stuff about I mean, it's, 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 uh, I don't know. It's fun stuff. And, uh, Lynn Carter has written more stuff. And of course, so has, 
uh, Robert M. Price written stuff about IOD to help fill up the book of IOD. <laughs> and, and I believe too, and and I, I like I said, uh, I think that uh, Block used at least the term once or twice. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so um, I'm going to take that back. The Black Kiss is a um, is uh, co-written by Block. Okay. okay. And and Cutner. Gotcha. Okay. So I'm going to throw one more thing, sort of a game. Sure. Um, just because, and 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 I doesn't appear. I don't think I add out. I think there's only like one or two I odd stories. Uh huh. And then again, other people use the terms, but it really, especially since it hunts, mm-hmm. and since it's it's all threes, you know, vegetable matter. Mm-hmm. Um. Very pulpy. Oh yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, crystalline know, it, fungus that can rise out of the Western Ocean. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's so, so, so pulpy. I, you know, and again, uh, again, you don't have to just be, you know, um, Cthulhu pulp mm-hmm. or GURPS cliffhangers. Yeah, you can have a pulp angle to any story, any adventure. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, I agree, and this. Definitely would make for a heck of a pulpy story. Uh, people exploring jungles and running across something that they think is vines, but it's like some sort of fungusy thing that starts zapping them of their energy and doesn't let go. Um, so, so, so since I've been more of talking about Cutner than than Iod, uh huh. I think Cutner makes a great pulp character. Yeah. You know, here's he because he's in he's in L.A. Uh, he and his wife are going to be merchants of um, Hollywood. Um, there, there, Hollywood is making movies from Cutner stuff even yeah. now. Oh yeah, The Last Minzy. I don't know if you saw that. Uh-uh. It was about I think ten years ago. Okay. That's based on a Cutner story. Oh, okay. So, so you know, you got this couple. You know, maybe you're not the type of DM or, or keeper that likes to kill uh, characters. Yeah. Well, you know, then there's, there's always this question, if you're that type of keeper, why are you playing Call of Cthulhu? Yeah. But, you know, you got this nice sort of couple that does the research and they really love each other uh-huh. as the NPCs. And so you can threaten them. Oh, yeah. To get the, the PCs moved. You know, that's their... You know, they're, they're, they're sort of, you know, if they don't, you know, yeah, if they don't get this, you know, I odds after them because they're writing or something, uh-huh. but they're also helping the uh, source of information to the uh, uh, the characters. So, wow. so you know, as I guess I've been much more uh, uh, Henry uh, Kuttner uh, talking about Henry than uh, I odd, but you know, why not make Henry or, you know, Henry the the scribe, you know, your D&D game, uh, as well as as using IOD. Yeah, and the book of IOD, too, if while we're while we're there. But yeah, yeah, everyone. How come you're not doing that already? Or are you or are you are you are you ahead of the game? If you're already ahead of the game, if you have ways that you've used IOD uh, write us, People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos, we're on Facebook, we are on, uh, what do you call that thing? Twitter, we're on that Twitter thing 
We're on the Instagram, and of course, we've got pgttcm.com, where you can write us, and we'll read your letters. Okay, so... Book of Iod. Check. Iod. Check. Henry Kuttner. Check. Pillars of Irem, the city of pillars. Check. Anything else we need to talk about, Dave? No, uh, no. I think we've, I think we've done it for this week. All right. And I just want to say, anyone out there who wants to help support Uncle Owen's Goat Farm, we've got t-shirts in the shop for cool Goat Farm t-shirts. And, you know, some t-shirts that we've put together for the show over the years. And I want to thank you again. Uh, thank you, Dave, for being part of the show and everyone for listening. Thank you again so much. And remember to rate, review, subscribe. Hit that like button. Uh, hit that notify button. Tell your friends. Tell your ma. Tell your pa. Or I'll ship you down to Sothagwa, another shirt we have in the shop. And uh, other than that, I just want to say thank you again. I hope you all have a wonderful, safe uh, Cinco de Mayo and uh, maybe Mother's Day by the time this one comes out. But we will talk to you later. And of course, Sarah Walker, thank you so much for contributing to the show. You're awesome. And Dave, do you have anything you want to say before we head off into that uh, hazy afternoon? No, I'm, just, I'm just glad that that you know who I'm talking to. I'm 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 glad. Uh oh, Dave just cut out. What what was that, Dave? No, I just want to thank the person who knows who I'm talking to. I want to thank them for for apologizing. Okay, all right, that sounds good. Okay, everyone, we will see you next time, and have yourself a good one, and keep squiggly and stay weird. Bye. Bye. You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio.